Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And today, I have a rock star of the small cell industry, at least the enterprise small cell industry, and that is Art King. Yes, Art King of SpiderCloud Wireless. You can see their product at spidercloud.com. They make a small cell for the enterprise, an indoor small cell, and it's a rocking product. Here in the U.S., it's approved by two of the big four carriers. It's a worldwide product approved by carriers all over the world. It's really impressive, and they really showed the big boys that a little guy can do it. Or at least they're not so little anymore. But Art is the Director of Enterprise Services and Technology for Spider Cloud. And I actually got him on the show here for over an hour. It's a long show, so sit back, but you'll enjoy it because he was originally with Nike as the Global Infrastructure Architecture Lead. And he talks about the transition from Nike into Spider Cloud and how he was actually talking to Spider Cloud when he was working at Nike. Just a neat, neat guy. I, I really enjoyed talking to him, it was a lot of fun. Some other groups. He's the vice chair of services working group for the small cell forum and a board member in the small cell forum. And one thing you'll learn about SpiderCloud, which you'll see in this interview and read in my blog, wadeforwireless.com, is that they do so much impressive work for the enterprise putting the small cells in. They partnered with Cisco. They're really moving ahead. They just do a lot of great stuff. So spidercloud.com, and they also have a website just for the enterprise, spidercloud.com slash eInsider, which is just a great site to go for the enterprise user to get on there and check it out. Any of you IT guys out there that are listening to this, interested in wireless, well, here's your chance to get a small cell put in your building or whatever. You're all, I was going to say office, but you know it could be your building, could be anything. So I highly recommend it. But first, I have a word from my sponsors. Tower Tracker Pro for all your closeout package needs. If you're working out at a tower site or even a small cell site and you have to do a closeout package, this app will take it from your smartphone to the system. You, you can have someone back at the office verify and audit the pictures before you even leave the site. I'd also like to thank Tower Safety and Instruction who not only has all your tower safety and all your CPR and all your first aid training, they also have drone training because they partnered with on-manned experts. Tower Safety and Instructions at towersafety.com. Hubble Foundation, hubblefoundation.org. They support the hurt and fallen families of tower climbers, along with the Tower Family Foundation. They also support the hurt and fallen families of the tower climbers. They can be found at towerfamilyfoundation.org. Also, I have the Wireless Deployment Handbook. That's right, the LTE Wireless Deployment Handbook for Small Cell, CRAN, and DAS. Available I made for you because you wanted to understand the end-to-end -end deployment process. So this may help. It will answer a lot of your questions. It's going to solve a lot of your problems if you're in the industry and you wonder how to do the handoffs. All this can be found at wade4wireless.com. W-A-D-E number 4 wireless.com. wade4wireless.com. Go there and you'll find more information about all of this. Now, let's get into the interview because this guy is an interesting guy. You'll learn a lot. The beginning of it, he talks about the history and the transition from Nike to spider cloud which i'm just so happy he let me put in the uh the podcast art's just a neat guy he's a fun guy to talk to i met him face to face he's excited about this work he's just really an interesting guy and he also talks about how spider cloud has done a lot for the small cell industry but he's a realist too he understands that their niche is the enterprise market he's not looking to take over the world he's not looking to compete with das and any of their major installations he's looking for a specific niche market he's a smart smart guy so without waiting any longer here's the interview so how have you been i haven't seen you since the das oh man went to the uh small sales world summit uh we were awarded the uh commercial deployment excellence uh for enterprise at the summit wow 
I think I saw that. That was pretty impressive. It's it's actually the third year in a row that we've won it. So it was like kind of um, a little bit shocking to get it yet again. Um, I, I told my leadership, it's like we're running out of uh, tier ones. We're going to have to uh, land a carrier on Mars. <laughs> you have to figure out what the next step is. So, oh, did you go to DAF Congress, or isn't that something you guys normally go to? We we didn't go. Actually, a, a couple of our uh, uh, people attended, and I did hear that there was quite a bit of conversations about small cells at, at uh, this DAF Congress, which was which was real good. Yeah, I thought you guys would have went because. It just seems like uh, you guys, to be honest with you, Spider Cloud is a presence almost everywhere. It's pretty impressive. Well, it's been, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of years of work and, you know, both on the part of, you know, engineers and everyone else to not only create the visibility, but also, um, you know, create create the actual success in the market. Yeah, I, I know you put in your time. So, and I, I, I know I see you all the time. You love the media. Like, I see you on RCR papers. I know you did the Sands of Phil. Because I did a little bit of research, Art. You're everywhere, man. I know. And when you and it was funny when you said when you said it took you years to build this up. And I know you're going to think this is wacky, but you know I, I googled you basically back uh-huh. in like 2013 or 2014. I know 2014. You had videos on RCR trying to explain the enterprise small cell and how big it was going to become. And and it was funny because uh, it was Martha DeGrassi. I know Martha. She's real nice. But she's like, really? You really think the enterprise is going to have small growth? Like she didn't, not that she didn't believe you, but, you know, back then it was a question. Now, I, you know, I was working for Alcatel-Lucent, and, you know, we were like you. We were, we were banking on the outdoor small cell, which didn't take off so fast. The enterprise small cell, you guys, and I, I give you guys a lot of credit. I told admit this. You guys have done a great job with the enterprise small cell. I mean, outstanding. I mean, and I, I know a lot of it's you out there hitting the streets trying to convince everybody that it's for real. And it, I looked at that video and I looked at the date, and it's as relevant now as it was back then. But I looked at it and it was like, wow, 2014. Boy, ours has been pounding them for a long time. Well, so in in. I, I used to run Nike Global Operations wow. um, uh, in, in architecture. Um, I ran it for uh, – it was, it was in, in the group and kind of led wireless architecture and mobility from 2002 to 2012. In 2004, I put, put in my first kind of switched Wi-Fi system, you know, with the thin APs and the Wi-Fi controller and stuff. Wow. And I started talking to the trade press back then saying – you know, someone needs to do this for cellular. You know, I've got 6,000 Blackberries here, and everyone's complaining that the phones don't work indoors. And, um, you know, I, I I really think that one of these days someone's going to build something like a Cisco airspace system and pull out the uh, Wi-Fi radios and put in cellular radios, and, you know, we'll, we'll have indoor cellular. And um, in 2007-ish, um, a writer from Network World called me, and she said, I think I found a company that's building um, exactly what you claim is needed. And they put me in charge with the kind of the founders of SpiderCloud, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the very original company. And um, I, I, I was uh, – when I would go down to the valley every couple of months because I was like the innovation guy for infrastructure, I would stop by SpiderCloud, put my feet on the desk, and talk for a couple hours every few months about enterprise needs and Ethernet and – 
change management and operations. And I spent a lot of time just on education of SpiderCloud in the early days around what was needed inside an office building. (laughs) That's a great – can I put that in the podcast, that story? Yeah, sure. That's a great story. (laughs) And and in in, um, in 2012, um, I was being recruited to – uh, take a a role of a CTO in the Persian Gulf for a retailer, and um, when when Ronnie Heraldsvik, the 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 CMO for Spider Cloud, um, found that out because he he had just returned to the company, he went, oh my God, you would leave Nike? Okay, <laughs> well, kind of, yeah, obviously, <laughs> and he uh, he said, I. I, I need you here. We don't have anyone inside that understands enterprise that can, you know, tell the story and be credible about, you know, the, the needs and the and the pressures and the imperatives and all that kind of stuff. And and so I I I decided to jump off a cliff and go do it. So I I ended, I ended up at Spider Cloud, but I was known to the company long, long before I was recruited because I was one of the people that was I, I walked Spider Cloud in AT and T. Um, uh, in, uh, I'm thinking early 2012 before I left the company and, and it, before I left Nike and I was going, I, I want to buy this, you know, and, and of course, Wade, I was, I was, I was like bloody ignorant about how hard it is to get things into production and be allowed to connect to an operator's <laughs> network. <laughs> and I and, I, and, I, and I, I was like this like this, this country rude going do 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 if you like oh, oh, our, our network I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> Art, wait 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 these are great stories I don't want to miss a minute of it. <laughs> those, those two stories I mean I could just sit here and listen to your history all day. I should have asked you all this up at Neat Dash. <laughs> I should have asked you about your history because those are two great stories. One. I mean, the way you worked with Spider Cloud, I mean, you would just sit down there because you love the business just because you love it, you know? I mean, and they were listening to you before they were even paying you. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's, it's because as, a, as an enterprise IT guy, um, I used to walk around to my, my present technology providers going, um, I have to keep my powder dry. I am not going to buy a, a – uh, a square peg for a round hole and force fit the solution onto my business customers because they will just reject me. And um, I, had, I had tried that with a couple of different technologies and I had so many of my business people going, silly IT guy, you know, you don't understand. Life is too short. You know, we just want everything to work without any intervention. It just needs to be magic. I just want to use my phone like a phone. And, you know, why do you want me to do all this extra stuff? And that, and, and that's I, that's how I learned from my business customers because IT was weak and we couldn't force things on people. We had to essentially build things that our our business people wanted to use. And um, what we found with mobility is the business people they didn't want to install OTT software. They didn't want to have to configure Wi-Fi themselves. They didn't want to have to do anything. They just wanted to use their phone without any intervention. And um, the only way that we could figure we could do that was, you know, you know, making sure that the cellular network was everywhere indoors. And um, I was in the um, uh, or, or, or our buildings at our corporate headquarters were in this um, the 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 death zone for DAS. You know, you have buildings that are 150,000, 200,000 square feet, 
40 of them and minimal fiber in the ground to to do anything remote from them. So you, you, you got into this situation where you just couldn't provide service to a building because it was cost prohibitive. And, um, you know, we were continually searching for some way to, you know, improve AT&T, especially because at that time we were still inside that five-year exclusiveness of the iPhone. And, um, you know, the, I, when we authorized the iPhone in, in, in 2009, when the international data plan came became available, we went from 500 to 19,000 uh, uh, iPhones in one year. So, wow. Yeah, the uh, you, you, if, if you could bring your virtual glasses on, the AT&T towers in the area were spitting flames. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe that though. I think AT&T, while it looked good for business, it sure forced them to overhaul the network, or at least let's say expand and upgrade the network. You know, that was before LTE. Everything was, I hate to say, EVDO, but it was pretty much EVDO back then. Uh, the, the Portland market was edge, and in in the valley, the Tualatin Valley, where where Nike's located, in, in kind of west of Portland, Intel was also there with eighteen thousand employees. So the, um, the the big huge, two, the kind of the two big corporations there in in the valley uh, drove uh, the prioritization of the Portland market for 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 three G and HSPA plus far sooner than what was planned just because of the uh, amount of traffic that we were generating. Wow. Wait, the iPhone changed the world, didn't it? Oh, yeah. When, 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 I, when I saw it in 2007, um, so, so Nike had a relationship with uh, Apple from you know, many, many years. You know, they, they, they sat on Nike's board. Nike sat on Apple's board. And um, we got a pallet of iPhones in uh, a couple months before launch, and we had to do a secret project to make uh, email work on day of launch. So all of our executives with, with their new iPhones would have you know functional email. So we had to like create a you know top secret workroom and uh, get Apple security to come by and, and bless it and, and sign a lot of papers and stuff that you'd never take the phones out and show them in public, et cetera. And um, we got uh, IMAP4 email up for iPhone V1, and it was amazing for the first six months to be, you know, at, at a personal level, to be wandering about with an iPhone. Everyone wanted to touch it and see it. And, you know, fast forward to now, what, nine, nine years later, smartphones are normal. And uh, I actually saw a, a, a feature phone the other day when, when I was in, 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 uh, in, in France, and it was like, wow. That's really old, and I can't believe you still use it. This guy had an old Nokia feature phone, and uh, it, it, you know it's 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 surprising now to to see things that are not a smartphone and scratch your head and go, "Wow, what a dinosaur!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. I just can't believe it. I mean, it's when you when you look at the network now and the way that smartphones are just normal. Just like you, that's what you're saying. They're just normal. You can't believe anyone isn't on a data plan. And if you see someone with a flip phone, you're like, "What are you doing? How old is that?" <laughs> sort of funny. Yeah. Well, and, and we can all remember when the Motorola Razor was the hot, ultra sexy phone that we did, that any of us had ever seen. You know, you know, when you come forward to now, it's like, like kind of funny. Well. Not only that, you're, you're right. You're right. That was an amazing because it was cool. It was little. You could flip it open. 
But to BlackBerry, who thought BlackBerry would go away? I mean, BlackBerry at the time, if you were in business, no one had it for, not no one, not many people had a BlackBerry for a personal phone. But if you worked for a big, a big company or a business or something, chances are good you had a BlackBerry. I mean, you used it for email. That's how you kept in touch. That's how you kept, you know, your lifeline to your business intact by using a BlackBerry. And now BlackBerry, who uses a BlackBerry? <laughs> you know, it's either a Droid or an iPhone. Well, there was a, a, a certain amount of people that thought that uh, a, a keyboard would never go away and that the yeah. touchscreen had a very limited uh, market appeal. The, I think the other effect was you got the Internet in your pocket with the with the iPhone and the Android because they got rid of WAP and all the dependencies for that strange website protocol that you had to write in to get to mobile devices prior to the iPhone. And the idea that you could actually have a real web experience on a standard website from, from a mobile device was just like this breakthrough moment for mobile. So let me ask you this. We talk about the enterprise small cells all the time. And one thing that I always bring up is that the carriers have to find a way, like they did the Femto cells for personal use, to let other vendors install the enterprise small cells. Because right now, I think the carriers still have a lock on it. Unless you know something I don't. I mean, you guys are farther ahead. I, I just think there has to be a, almost a, a way for either plug-and-play to work through the firewall where the carrier spectrum can just come up. And I, I know that I know they're worried about self-interference or worried about how it'll affect the network. But let's face it, I, I think there needs to be a way for other vendors to install these without just going to the carrier. I understand coordinating with a carrier, but the carriers don't want to pay to put them in everywhere. So there has to be a, an alternative method. I mean, wh what do you think? Uh, I, I I don't disagree. I think everyone in our in our in our present base of operators is thinking about how to enable customer customer self installation or or customer uh, you know funding and integration of some kind. You know the one of the 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 people I was talking to at um, you know one of the carriers said that it's. It, with a with a femto cell, it's self-installed because it's a whole lot of you know automation and procedures and things that uh, you know that that just kind of make it happen. What what they're thinking about doing is they want to kind of package a custom installation so that if an enterprise wants it, that a certified installer that has the procedures and and kind of knows how to do things would um, would be available to the enterprise via a channel such as a Cisco or would be, you know, uh, they, the operator would connect them to it as kind of a rally say, you know, contact this company and they will do the um, site survey, uh, design work, installation, commission and attach the system and open it for traffic. And, you know, the the, um, the things that everyone's wrestling with, I think, is um, co-channel interference issues and co-channel interference concerns more than issues. And then um, doing something that I think we'd characterize as a high KPI design where it meets all the KPIs of the operator because you know, the, the, one of the major concerns is it, at the end of the day, if someone with a premium network brand like a, like a Verizon puts their PLMN ID to be advertised inside the office building and calls are dropped everywhere because cells are installed too far apart and you know you can't hand, hand over between the cells, you end up with calls to Verizon instead of to the enterprise. So there's 
there's a lot of thinking going on around how to segment problems, how to uh, understand KPIs from installation, how to ensure a kind of a high KPI installation such that, uh, you know, call, you know, th th there's not a lot of, um, you know, issues around the installation that wasn't kind of mandated by the carrier, but yet the installation process and what's done kind of has to be done by a certified installer that knows what to do, knows how to do it, and um, and has the relationships with the operator to 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 know who to talk to in a particular RF market to make sure that everyone's happy at the end of the day. I think that's a great idea, and I think the best way to do that is for the carriers to maybe start a program, just like you're saying, where they would they they wouldn't pay for the install, but they could maybe distribute to small cells because that would make sense, maybe, and but also maybe approve the design. And maybe even approve the uh, the uh, the vendors, the installers for the work. I, I just think it wouldn't take much for them to do that. I don't know about a Verizon, but AT and T already has things like that in place for other stuff, like for DAS and things like that. They already have programs set up where they control it. And I think it would just be a natural addition to a, a program like that. And it would also free up. They wouldn't have to pay for every small cell install. The enterprise could. And they could pay anybody. The enterprise could put it out to bid to multiple installers, assuming there's like a big market like Chicago, uh, New York, Philadelphia, L.A., where there's multiple installers around that could handle the job. You know, in the smaller markets, it probably wouldn't be the there wouldn't be the competition you'd have. But is that what you're thinking? Something like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I think so because um, what one of the things that uh, that you know, I see when when I when I encounter some of the you know the folks in the DAS community. Um, I, I was at CBIT in Atlanta, and one of the uh, concerns was because it's not a long and involved process. It's it's very much a uh, a fast, low cost installation from the from the from the physical installation perspective, and it and it I can smell the the reluctance in the DAS community to engage in these installations because um, uh, they're going to be low cost and you have to work fast and effectively. And one of the conversations we, we kind of turned on was, you know, within the integration community, you've got DAS companies that also have Wi-Fi integration groups. And, you know, we talked about the notion of a labor sandwich. So at the top of the process, you have a skilled macrocellular RF engineer to walk the building, measure macro interference levels, mark all the locations on the map, do the predictive RF plan and, and stuff with an IP wave and, and, and generate the radio layouts and, and the bill of materials for the radio infrastructure. Then in kind of the center of the sandwich, you have Wi-Fi dudes who know how to churn and burn, who know how to pull Cat5 cat cable quickly, um, you know, Cat 5E for the folks who are particular in the conversation, and and are able to actually you know do things very fast and effectively, and hang radios and pull cables, and you know connect them to an Ethernet switch, and then finally on the bottom side of the sandwich you have the again the the the, the, the macro kind of DAS experience team comes back in, connects the back hall commissions the system and make sure that it's all fully integrated in the cellular network, does the site walk and the site acceptance testing, and then opens it for traffic. So the, the change in labor mix 
in the center of the process from you know pulling coaxes and people that are very concerned about PIM and uh, uh, you know a whole lot of the very things that must be done very carefully within within a distributed antenna environment. You know you can get Wi-Fi guys in on on a spider cloudish type of installation and work very rapidly because you're hanging a system that's structurally very similar to Wi-Fi. I agree with you. I was just going to say that, that the Wi-Fi guys are. I hate to say quick and dirty, but they can do things a lot cheaper than a normal DAS installer can just because of the size of the box. And they're just running Cat5. They usually don't have to worry about fiber or coax throughout the building. Right, right. But they they, they have a, a, a lack of relationships and a lack of understanding of cellular because, in general, there's, there's no such thing as outdoor or external interference to Wi-Fi and or Wi-Fi interfering with something external to it that would cause you to have different concerns. So the desk folks have, have you know, a special opportunity in the market to either add Wi-Fi people to their, to their staff to essentially manage construction or Wi-Fi people that have the enterprise relationships and have been a, their Cisco channel could potentially add uh, a few DAS experienced uh, RF modelers and, uh, you know, people to commission systems and work with the macro teams and, uh, you know, enter the, enter the market that way. Oh, that's a good idea. That's true. They could partner on any level just to get things done. Yeah. One of one of the people that, that I know right now that doesn't have any labor in their firm, they just do design work. They're, they're essentially doing um, designs and, and, and IB wave assistance and, and, and planning for people who want to enter the market but don't quite understand cellular RF. I know a lot of companies that do just IB wave work, you know, just the design work for indoors. That's plenty of work for a lot of people. But let me ask you something. So the Wi-Fi guys, if, if someone does a complete design on IB wave, do you think a Wi-Fi crew can just go in and install it exactly the way they're told? Or do you think there would be problems if it's not tested properly? Uh, well, I, I think that the testing and commissioning until the – RF engineers in a market are feeling extremely comfortable with um, a new technology. I, I think that there's a, a, a lot more overhead to ensure that there isn't any problems with, with the outdoor network. That, that conservatism, I think, it you know, derives from the fact that people are getting bonus checks and their salary is based on meeting KPIs and making sure that the, the, the network itself is making, making all of its numbers. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't look at it that way, but yeah, you're right. The KPIs matter. <laughs> yeah, they, they they do. They do. And you know, and what we've seen on you know some of the things with different band classes, we've seen a, a lot of people trying to manage the co-channel problem by saying, "Hey, you know, I'm using band class 13 for for outdoors, and uh, you know, it's my beachfront network." But when I come into an office building, what I'll do is I'll hand hand up into you know band class four as a capacity frequency, and there's less chance of interference with the outside world because of uh, you know propagation through windows and and, and different materials and stuff is 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 a lot rougher at band class four than 13. So there's people working yeah. within within the license spectrum infrastructure and with within their holdings to specifically take the higher frequencies and use them for, you know, indoor capacity frequencies. Changing the subject here real quick. So that's uh-huh. all good. 3.5 gigahertz, the CBRS, uh, yeah, the Citizens Band Radio Network, CBRN here in the U.S., 
Do you think that's going to be a game changer? I mean, do you think it's going to be something that can almost be a neutral host that other people can build out? Or do you think the carriers will suck it up as much as they can and use it? I mean, what, or do you think for Spider Cloud, either scenario is probably good for you guys because I know you're already working on it. Do you feel that's going to be something that's going to deploy a lot of small cells, or do you think people will make a move to LTEU first? So when when you're when you're talking standalone pieces of spectrum, the the thing that we're optimistic about and are very you know we're actually participating in the alliance is uh, multi-fire. Yeah. So and and that is the next logical evolution beyond LTEU and LAA where you lose the anchor frequency and license spectrum and the uplink and downlink both exist in a piece of unlicensed spectrum. If you, if you, if you look at that, um, I think the dream in the cellular world or, or, or something that would be interesting would be a piece of global frequency, low power, unlicensed where everyone can kind of contend in it um, with the access protocols to the to the air link that that's kind of friendly and allows everyone to kind of exist in the same airspace without crushing each other. Well, it's a nice dream, but with LTEU, do you think that'll happen there? With 3.5 gig, it's more of a dedicated spectrum, but with LTEU, with multi-fire, let's say, with multi-fire, I mean, do you think it's going to be like Wi-Fi where you go somewhere and there could be five access points? Or do you think it'll be managed a little better? If if I was in the enterprise, what I would do is I would install one multi-fire platform with connections to all the mobile cores that were available in my country. Oh, okay. So I that, see what that's, you're so so that would that's that's a more practical way to to manage it. So when I look at multi-fire, it bring it brings the uh, neutral host small cell dream to fruition by basically saying. One piece of technology, or one piece of spectrum, one access method, um, and it's an alternative to a gigantic wideband antenna and a bunch of base stations um, as the alternative approach. Wow, I didn't think of it that much. So by putting in multi-fire, I guess you still need your own core, but you can connect to anyone's core through that. I'm trying to I, – I don't really know a lot about multi-fire other than it's going to be a standalone unlicensed LTE system. I don't know about the core or the back end, and maybe you do. I mean, is that something where an enterprise would have their own core and then they would just try to connect to all the carriers through an agreement, of course? That, that's, that's certainly one possibility. The other possibility is that, uh, you know, the operator's PLMN is directly advertised on the multi-fire network, so you, you hand over into the building. And when you walk out, you hand out, and your your phone doesn't know that it isn't on a Verizon network or an AT&T network. So it's more um, extending the operator's identity inside the building. And I think that's where the operator community will want to make sure that it's a high KPI installation because their brand identity is at stake you know, inside the facility. So by stating it like that, do you think the carriers will still want control over how it's installed in the engineering? Or do you think they'll just trust the enterprise to do all that. I, I think either they'll want control over the, uh, or, or at least records and understanding of how it's installed and or a, a site walk to be conducted before they allow the core to be turned on. You know, how it's going to happen is, I think, very much up in the air because you know, the, the specifications for the technology are in development. But the, um, I, I think that in order for to I, I identify, um, you know, the network as a particular carrier's network, they're going to want to make sure that that they do their due diligence on, you know, whatever's been done for the installation. KPIs matter. 
<laughs> That's what you're yeah, saying. Well, yeah, they, they, they do because um, you know you 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 end up getting you know getting blamed for drop calls when in fact it might not be your issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Hey, I'm I'm glad you glad you gave me that perspective because I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. You know, I mean, they're going to call the carrier. They're not going to call and complain to anybody else. But with Wi-Fi, people just sort of write it off. That's Wi-Fi. You know, that happens. <laughs> but yeah, with carriers, well, it, you expect that seamless coverage. Yeah, and and it, and it might be that when you walk into the office building. You know, for instance, where I used to work at, your 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 phone will switch from showing the the carrier's identity to basically showing Nike, and uh, you that's that's who you call and complain to. It's like that when when the when the Nike cellular network is hosed, you know, you you call your own service desk. Yeah, yeah, good point. So, but you know, the 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 other the other thing that we're hearing about multi-fire is also the um, the the interest in having your own packet core. Uh, for private devices, especially in places like hospitals where you want to get rid of multiple layers of communication networks and converge on one technology. You want to get smartphones in everyone's hands because of the apps you can build you know, onto the smartphones. And um, maybe for you know, HIPAA regulations and other, other, other things, you actually can't do certain functions on a uh, LTE attached tablet that's attached to an operator because due to privacy regulations, you can't have the data stream circling out through the packet core and back over the internet to the hospital. All the data traffic has to stay in the hospital. We all know that smartphones and tablets are breakthrough devices and to be able to get LTE in there so you have you know, fair access to, to uh, Spectrum and you know you get a lot of the voice and more deterministic services delivered correctly combined with all the privacy and control of private Wi-Fi. I think it's a very complementary strategy to add into a private Wi-Fi infrastructure is then add in, you know, uh, LTE. So when you say in a hospital for the HIPAA, I love the idea of a private network. Would it make more sense for them to have unlicensed LTE or would it make more sense for them to have like something licensed like 3.5 gig? The the, the 3.5 gig has, um, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure of all the nuances of GAA servers and, you know, how, how to, how to, how to get kind of committed spectrum in there requesting it from the uh, spectrum server versus kind of uncommitted spectrum. But, you know, 3.5 the, the the power of it is is it eliminates the uh, the the potential kind of more like geopolitical conflict with uh, with you know Wi-Fi and or the suspicion that whatever you're doing is interfering with you know performance in my Wi-Fi spectrum. 3.5 solves for that just by not operating within the Wi-Fi universe. You know, the, the 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 downside of it is it's not a global band. You know that that's. That, that to me is the most powerful thing about, you know, un unlicensed spectrum is some of these things for cellular, it would be great to have a global low power band that couldn't be auctioned off that everyone could use for, um, you know, indoor support. No, that's true. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it, I mean it, it. It seems kind. It seems kind of obvious, and you know, I, 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 I you got to bet that there's lots and lots of people that are trying to, you know, work through that with with ITU. Or you not. know, that is one I think. <laughs> yeah, or not. You're right. I, I'm just letting it all sink in. I mean, you're really through a lot there. I, I got to admit it. It is nice to go worldwide, and your Wi-Fi works. You know, well, anywhere you go, yeah. or almost anywhere, it works. Yeah. 
and, and, and the same thing for, you know, indoor cellular, because, you know, if you're a multinational and you're, you know, I, I operated in 49 countries, it would be really great to, to have a single band at the planetary level and, 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 a, and a box in every building that would allow a cellular user for any country to walk in and have great service indoors. That would be awesome. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know how cellular is. You, everyone's working on, you know, 10, 15-year timelines as far as thinking and planning. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing about this, this industry that's like knee-jerk, let's go do that. A lot of the things that are going in right now have been thought of for years, and there's a lot of planning and things going on that, uh, you know, have an extremely long time horizon compared to what happens, uh, you know, inside, inside the enterprise. It's a lot to think about. Hit me with a big one, Art. i got to give you credit, so... You, you, you oh, look at the big. You look at the big operators. You know, I mean, you know, when when they're spending ten billion a year in capital, you know, and they they need to evolve this machine that has 130 million people on it from point A to point B without any of the subscribers on the machine noticing that it's changing underneath them. My hats off. I mean, I I, I have a great amount of respect for the cellular operators to be. And the, and the technical staff to be moving these gigantic pieces of investment from what CDPD to Edge to to 3G to HSBA Plus to LTE and all the different spectrum bands that we're operating in. It's um you know it, it's a it's a monumental task running you know running these machines. I don't even fully grasp it because I've never been inside operations in a, in a in a service provider and lived it, but it. it it just looks massive from the outside. You blew me away, Art. I, I'm just trying, I'm still back on the multi-fire. <laughs> it's still processing in my head. With, with Spider Cloud, like as far as the roadmap for Spider Cloud, you guys have concentrated exclusively on enterprise, at least what I see. Is there any chance you're going to go beyond that, or do you feel there's so much growth there that there's there's no need to really expand beyond enterprise? We're very much a customer-driven, engineering-driven company, and there is a huge amount of work to be done in, in the enterprise space. You know, when I first started with the company, we went in and looked at the Department of Energy database of buildings to understand what our total addressable market might be just in the USA footprint. And, you know, we, we looked and basically said, you know, we don't want to compete with DASP and we're, we're very much, you know, targeted at smaller buildings where the fixed costs of DAS don't work. So we basically said buildings under a half a million square feet, um, According to some of our advisors that uh, build DASs, they basically said we don't even bid buildings like under under half a million square feet because there's enough sticker shock that the customer is not really interested in proceeding once they see the costs. And we said okay, and and we looked at the bottom side uh, of our you know the original architecture and basically said you know 50,000 square feet, 25,000 square feet is about the bottom side where our fixed costs start you know, swamping the equation. Looking at buildings from 50,000 to a half a million square feet in the United States, we came up with, um, off the top of my head, I think it was about 320,000 buildings in the U.S. that were of that size. Wow. That's a market. <laughs> that is a market. Yeah, that's a hell of a market. Jeez yeah. almighty. So that's how you came up with that. Well, and, and you know, and when you say it, other places that we could go, like, outdoors and that type of thing, um, 
that that a lot of the outdoors it's a tougher market because there's a whole lot more interaction with the, with the macro infrastructure and you know it it's it seems like when you when you remove that 35 db of glass uh, that it isolates you from the outside world there's a lot more sensitivity around um you know macro interaction and then you know the, the the siding of the small cells outdoors, the power and backhaul problem, the um, the great environmental swings that you have to engineer your your container for your electronics to deal with rain weather. You, being indoors is a glorious thing, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree more because you know I I worked with a lot of teams on outdoor cell outdoor small cell deployments. What a nightmare and. Once you get by everything you just mentioned, then you still have the, the municipalities, which you have the zoning, the permitting, and then if you go anywhere near where there's a residential neighborhood, you have to be quiet, you have to make it look good. Whereas in a building, you can make it look good, but you have ways of hiding everything in most buildings. Now, historical buildings, that's a different world. Then you have to really you know, make it look historic. <laughs> for lack of a better word, you have to make it look good. Most buildings, most enterprises, chances are you have a false ceiling. You can just shove something up there. Now, I'm not saying you do a crappy install. You know, you still want to install it properly and, and the grounding and everything and run the cables properly. But you can hide stuff. And as long as it's quiet and it doesn't interfere with the workers, everybody's happy. They they don't really care what it looks like between the the lowered ceiling and, and the, the firm, the real ceiling. Nobody cares. They just want it up there as long as it's safe and as long as it's not a fire hazard. Totally agree. You know, we've got lots of installations where it's up in the planet because the uh, the building owner didn't like the, the visual aesthetics of the uh, of the radio and said, put it up in the ceiling. And yep. that's where that's where it went. And you know, we're we're plenum rated. And we're power over Ethernet plus to power the radio. So the Ethernet switch powers the radio, so there's no need for an electrical outlet where, where the radio is installed. And, um, you know, it, it's there's no fans or anything because, uh, you know, we just rely on thermal dissipation to, uh, you know, to, to you know, move, move the heat off of the uh, active electronics. Yeah, that, see, that just makes a lot of sense. That's the perfect install. So I have a question for you. When you, your, your target customer is the enterprise, right? But who pays for the small cells? I know in the early days, you know, everyone looked at the carriers. Moving forward, do you think the carriers are going to continue to pay you guys, or do you feel you're going to market directly to enterprise? Now, I'm not talking about the, the design of the system or anything like that, and I know we just spoke about this. I know, I know we just talked about your target, target market and uh, target installation area. But who actually is going to pay for it, do you think? Do you actually think the shift is going to go from the carriers to the enterprise sooner or later? I mean, what do you see a time frame? A few years, five years? It's far more immediate than three to five years. There's many people thinking about it now. Within, within the Small Cell Forum, we, we did market research that's available on the Small Cell Forum website. Uh, a company called Emertis did looked at the actual market they they talked to about 500 enterprises of you know medium to large size and and you know ask them about you know buying cellular improvements in small cells so the way the numbers worked out 30% of the enterprises says yes if it's available I'll buy it no problem wow. 30% 30% said I shall never buy it you know it's the responsibility of the operator to fix it and there was a 40% in the middle that said, if the price was right, 
give give me something around a Wi-Fi price point that I can understand, I would entertain buying it. Wow. 70% potential market there of, of people willing to buy. Let me ask you, if multifire, you can have a neutral host small cell. Do you think that would raise that 30% who definitely would buy to say 50 or 60%? Do you think that's holding them back or do you think it's purely cost? I mean, because when, when people come to work, BYOD is big now. Bring your own device. And No, no, it's not. Oh, really? So, so, so as an IT telecom manager, I can tell you why you may have multiple carriers, but it's there's BYOD is a financially losing proposition for an enterprise where mobile is mission oh. critical. So the contracts I had, um, I pooled all of my megabytes. I pooled my minutes. I, you know, I pooled all my consumption where a cost overrun on one, one phone would be picked up by a, you know, underutilization on another number. And when I pulled my infrastructure um, with the different carriers, I, I cut my costs in half. You know, my phone bill went from like, uh, you know, $1.6 million a month down to $800,000 a month when I, when, I, when I pooled everything. And the other thing that was a killer f- for us was uh, operations expense for expense reports. You know, if, if an expense report costs you, you know, say $50 end-to-end from – from t- from the employee time to make it to time to submit it time for a, you know an accounting person to you know process it and get it and then the system to cut a check back to you and it's fifty dollars and you're expensing off a fifty dollar phone bill that would have cost you twenty five if if it was just run through a corporate account you you end up you know with an extra seventy five dollars being spent for BYOD. So we specifically said, don't do BYOD, don't run phones through the expense system because it's so expensive. And we've got a lot of leverage such that if you drop your iPhone in, in, in the pond at home and um, you're a personal user, you know, you're going to pay the $700 to replace the iPhone, but we might be able to finagle you an iPhone if, if, you, if, if it gets damaged, you know, under a corporate account because we've got so much more leverage. Wow. You know, I didn't even think of it that way. That makes so much sense because people don't realize the overhead that goes into managing something like that. Like a lot of companies, all they do, they look at the bottom line like, oh, well, we're not paying all this anymore. But, yeah, you are. You're paying for the overhead to manage it from some employee out there that basically is going to expense it anyway. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Well, in, in, and in some departments, you we had um, like a, a hundred phones in like a in like a marketing department, and there was two people full time managing phone bills and managing rate plans on the phones and and uh, and all that kind of thing. And they were like joyful when we when we when we when we pulled the phones back in like I think we pulled in '05, and they basically were going, "Oh my God, we don't need to manage plans anymore and manage anything. We're just going to get." a PDF via email to finance on, on, on the monthly expense. <laughs> they were like thrilled to get, get out of, you know, essentially being the shadow telecom operations within their own department. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> wow. Hey, I'm glad I asked you about that because I didn't realize what a burden BYOD would be because I read about it a lot, but I don't know. I didn't know it was such a nightmare. 
Well, you know, if 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 you don't have enough phones to make the uh, you know to to have a telecom management role and have you know to have you know an, enough savings there to be harvested to fund you know active management of the telecom infrastructure, then BYOD is awesome and you're in great shape. But you get above a certain amount of lines, and then it makes more sense to actively manage them, to have corporate accounts, and to pit, potentially feed everything through a, like a telecom expense management vendor so that you have all the metrics and everything's kind of in order electronically. Back to my original question. <laughs> out of all the people, <laughs> out of, I didn't forget. I know you're trying to get out of it. <laughs> but all those IT vendors out there, the 30% that would buy and the 40% that were on the edge, they said it was all about price. But do you think a neutral host small cell, just, you know, a sim multiply or something, something pretty straightforward like that, do you think that would be more attractive to the enterprise, let's say, for them to purchase small cells? Or do you think that doesn't matter? It just doesn't matter. There'll be some people that want to wait for that, you know, X years into the future. And, and there's other people that absolutely want solutions now for the contracted service they're buying from Operator X. They want Operator X's small cells to, you know, solve the complaints of their business users. You know, for us as SpiderCloud, that's, that's not a market that we directly would go after because we don't have the oops to do that. But we see that, you know, Cisco, because they OEM the SpiderCloud platform and have 47,000 people in the field and have uh, just a huge army of, of channel partners that that go to market to the enterprise will be very much satisfied by, you know, the Cisco channel. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good plan. I, I would also plug into that same statement that that's where a lot of the potential DAS vendors and or, and or cellular RF designers and system commissioners can partner with people like Cisco and say, within this region, I can support any of your channel partners who are calling on enterprises who need to turn up a, a Cisco unified small cell and, uh, you know, platform. Um, I can support you on that turn up and all the RF engineering and things that you have to do for cellular that your channel partners won't know how to do, but they can certainly install the system. I can provide the front end labor and the back end commissioning and um, make you all successful. So what you're saying there is if I was an installer, an integrator, someone that could do the design, the backhaul, well, at least, you know, that had enterprise customers and handled the backhaul, the firewall, and things like that, if I was that guy that could do a turnkey, would I come to SpiderCloud to, to do that job, or would I go to a carrier, uh, pull it off, or would I go to a Cisco, someone like a Cisco? The logistics have not been fully fleshed out yet as far as what the process flow would look like. I mean... So at the beginning, you have a you have an IT manager complaining about uh, cellular coverage. If they're complaining to the operator, the the salesperson for the operator might reference them to uh, a, an appropriate channel partner that could do the work for them. Or if they're actually talking to a system integrator or or Cisco, they could potentially you know start the project on that side. But you know at the at the end of the day, the, whoever's providing the backhaul and the terminating connection and a lot of the kind of parameters to the uh, to the small cell system that are necessary to you know integrate it into the overall cellular network, the the project will be made visible kind of automatically because 
you just can't randomly connect stuff into the cellular network. So how, how the projects become visible and approved by the operator, you know, those are like points of discussion, you know, I think uh, that obviously need to be solved for. Yes. Well, just like you're saying, that needs to be worked out quickly, I think. I don't I don't think they – and I think the carriers are, the, are holding it up because, quite frankly, I don't think a lot of them are ready to let go of any control, even though it's indoors, even though it would make a lot of sense. I think you still have the guys watching the network saying, we don't want anyone touching the network. You know, they're still saying that. Even though they did allow femto cells to go in for the home, I think they need to step it up a bit, but I don't know. But may, I don't see everything. Maybe they're working towards this. They just don't have the solution. Well, and, and as you were talking about three and a half gig uh, CBRS and maybe and and or multi-fire in uh, in uh, in five gig, both of those solutions because they're not co-channel with the outdoor network. The concern about them is going to be a whole lot less than. Uh, than you know what you see today when you when you're installing a small cell that's co-channel with the with the macro outdoors. Then the network guys won't be worried about it. They'll say, "Yeah, do whatever you want. It won't affect us." Well, they'll have concerns about well, it. Hand hand it. Hand, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be hand-in and hand-out concerns, and, and, and there's going to be concerns about internal handover quality KPIs inside the building whether or not the PLMN will be, you know, advertised inside the building or whether it will, you know, have the corporation's name in the upper left-hand corner of the phone when they're indoors. There's little things like that to be to be worked out. But from quality control and, and management of the, the outdoor macro network, it takes a lot of a lot of um, you know issues off the table for that team. And the other effect that we've seen with uh, with the indoor systems is starting to do like integrated engineering, where an enterprise office building is providing um, a massive offered load on the macro network, and it starts making sense to say if it's going to take a million dollars to upgrade the tower or two hundred thousand dollars to to offload the enterprise via Spider Cloud. Um, there's there's a lot of integrated thinking going on to say let's let's defer the investment in the tower and and, and take the enterprise off 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 the uh, outdoor network and you know have them served by a, you know indoor small cell infrastructure. That makes a lot of sense. Changing the subject here, I got another question. Your partnership with Cisco has that worked out well for you guys? I mean, do they are they a great part? I know you're going to say they're great, but has that worked out pretty well for you guys as far as the teamwork? Because it does seem like it seems to me like there's a lot of synergies there. I know you know they OEM your your product, but it seems like you guys have a pretty good partnership. Yeah, uh, so far the, the heavy lifting is more crossing the silos between the enterprise and the service provider organization. So the you know the Cisco's SP organization you know is pretty much. Um, you know, what you'd expect. They're extremely good at, at what they do and, you know, how they call on the carriers. And, you know, just the, the crossover work to get the enterprise channels activated um, is is a real heavy lifting that uh, is in process there. It's a nice partner to have. I mean, it's nice they OEM your product. <laughs> you know, it's, it looks good in your resume, if nothing else. <laughs> Well, you, you know, it's um, at a global level, you know, as someone who, who spent about $10 million a year on Cisco, you know, in my prior role, their, their products don't break. They, they stand behind them. And, and if there's issues and stuff, there's, there's TAC, there's spare parts, there's global logistics available. There's a lot of things that uh, Cisco has for multinationals 
um, that that work very well at a global level and even at a national level. So, you know, there, there's 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 very high touch services they can offer because they've got all the organization built that you know Spider Cloud will frankly never do because we're we're very much the builder of the product, but not the uh, you know we don't we're we're not a services organization to an, an installation organization relative to what something like Cisco has in place with their channels, professional services, and all their logistics and TAC infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Art, you're an amazing guy. <laughs> I love talking to you. <laughs> I I can't believe you know, I've been on the phone for over an hour now. Is there anything uh is there anything else is there anything you want to bring up about Spider Cloud you want to put on the podcast? We have uh you know website at spidercloud.com and we've got a enterprise uh section of our website spidercloud.com slash e insider, like enterprise insider that has a a whole lot of um, you know information more on on the market demands and the needs and kind of the drivers behind that 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 you know we've shaped our strategy around. Spidercloud.com/einsider. Yep, that's correct. Okay, so I'll make sure to get that out there. And uh, yeah, I'll put your website and the blog and everything. I'll just refer people to that, and I'll make sure everyone knows how to get there. Are you going to be talking anywhere soon, or do you want to promote anything? Let's see. PCIA next week. Uh, Amit Jane will be at TIA. Uh, you know, we we attend a lot of events and and you know continue to engage and you know talk to you know talk to the public quite a bit. Creating visibility is an ongoing process. It never stops because um, there's always someone new that's never heard the message before and and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Great stories and. The only thing I have to uh, ask you about, you and Amit do show after show, interview after interview. I know you guys write a lot. You do inter- online interviews. You're doing this podcast, which I'm grateful for. Thank you. Do you ever get burnt out? <laughs> you go and go and go. <laughs> do you ever just reach a point of exhaustion? That's, that's usually like post-bubble of Congress. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you, you have to understand in mobile of Congress to – prepare for it every year you start about six months before the event begins i believe it because that's a huge event they cover everything there and everybody does and i've never been to it i just see all the blowback you know and it's every oem every oem has so much that they present there and everyone wants to be the first to have world breaking news and the new products and everything so yeah i can only imagine the preparation that goes into that Especially, you know, not just for you guys, but for everybody. But it just has to be exhausting getting ready for it. And like you said, it's six months ahead of time. And and you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But do you guys try to plan your product releases for that same week like everybody else seems to? Um, y- y- yes and no. It's kind of situational. So, you know, it, we we we. We like everyone else. We always plan PR and announcements around events and kind of you know stage stage um, stage announcements that way. But um, the, the 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 product kind of goes out when it when it when it goes out to the actual customers. You don't wait for a show or anything. As soon as it's ready, you put it out there. As soon as you're done testing and everything, but as soon as it's ready and uh, ready for the public, you put it out. 
Yeah, and you know, the, the, it's it's more the, the the carrier life cycle, the, the lab work, and everything else necessary to get things ready. It's um, that's that's a huge amount of work. That uh, it's it's the approval cycle is very very long compared to when when things are announced, just because of the the way things work and what you have to do within each each cellular network. It's kind of custom for that network. You know, that's something I try to tell people. I think a lot of people don't understand when a product comes to market. To get it on the carrier system, it can be anywhere from three months to a year, maybe longer, just to get the approval process, the lab testing, the fit, everything it has to go through. It takes a long time. And that's why when you guys came to market, I was so impressed because, like I said, you know, I worked with Alcatel, Lucid, Nokia. It takes so long to get any product through that. And and you guys came out to me, remember, where I was coming from, came out of nowhere and suddenly you're everywhere you were on you, you must have the patience that your teams must have had <laughs> to go through the carriers like that with a new product like this it's just amazing it's impressive i my hat's off to you our our principal engineers that do the lab work and the iot work are kind of informal cto or VPs of system engineering, our product management people, and all the people in engineering within our within our company that can uh, identify issues, shoot bugs, patch code, you know, read read uh, traces and stuff. You know, it, it's the overall team that's responsible for you know our success. It's um, it, it's it's not not any one group of people. It's the kind of the whole machine hitting on all cylinders at the same time. You know, it's, uh, it's 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 pretty impressive, you know, inside the company to you know see see what you know what's what is achieved. Wow. Yeah. Well, you guys are amazing because I know what's involved in that. That just because you know I I dealt with it in the past. The patience your engineers must have had <laughs> because a lot of people don't realize when you're going just through the lab test, you almost have to be available every day. You never know when they're going to hit day being the carriers. You never know when the carriers are going to hit you up with questions or problems. or And sometimes they could put your stuff on a shelf, and then three weeks later, suddenly they're working on it every day of the week. <laughs> it's just it's just exhausting. So, yeah, you have a great team. I, I admire what how far your company has come in such a short time. It's really impressive. Well, you know, we're coming up on being, uh, uh, what, Ten, ten years, so it's it's not an overnight success. It's uh, it's been a lot of work for you know many people. Yeah, good job. Well, that's all I have, Art. Thank you for your time. I I really appreciate it, and I really enjoyed meeting you up at Nedas. I I just thought that was a great show. I enjoyed that. So, and thanks for taking the time out to do this. Very cool, and we shall be talking soon, Wade. All right, you got it. Take care, Art. Okay, cheers. Thank you. So there it was, my interview with Art King, the legend in the small cell industry of SpiderCloud Wireless, spidercloud.com. I'd recommend you go to my website at wadeforwireless.com to find out more about them and more about anything else you heard in this. I have the links in there for the Enterprise website, for his blog, for what he's done. He's done a lot of slide shares. The award at the Small Cell World Summit, really impressive. So if you get a chance, check it out. Check out the links. Be smart. Be safe and pay attention. See ya!